Let us pray that God would illuminate the words of Scripture for us this morning. God, we thank you for the words that you have given us in the pages of Scripture. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lights our path, who illuminates those words for us. We pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds and our spirits that we might seek after you this morning as we hear your word. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Our second reading comes from the letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Finally, our gospel reading comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We've been reading a lot of Matthew during this lectionary cycle so far this year, and now we are backing up before many of the passages that we have read already this spring, before the Sermon on the Mount, before the Transfiguration. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts Be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our salvation. If you spend much time on the internet, odds are you've come across one of those you-had-one-job memes. A meme is a photo, slogan, or short video that gets passed around the internet through Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. The you-had-one-job memes are photos of something that is hilariously messed up, presumably by a professional. The caption says something like, you had one job, cat, and has a picture of a cat watching a mouse eat his cat food. Or perhaps a prepackaged fortune cookie with the fortune outside the cookie for all to read. You had one job. One of my favorites is a giant bike sale sign outside a sporting goods store with a lovely row of shiny new kayaks hanging under the sign. You can almost picture God after Adam and Eve have messed up and have heard the holy footsteps in the grass and have heard their names called by the Almighty. You can picture God saying to Adam and Eve, Guys, you had one job. They were told to take care of creation and to not eat from the one tree in all of creation that was off limits. And they get so distracted by the temptation of power that isn't theirs to possess 
that they wander off from their purpose and do the one thing they were not supposed to do. It's easy to blame Adam and Eve for all the problems in the world and to turn them into some sort of cosmic you-had-one-job meme. They screwed up, so now we can't help ourselves. And it's easy to blame it all on the devil. The devil made me do it. But Adam and Eve aren't forced into anything, and neither are we. They are simply ushered into second-guessing God's purpose for them. That's it. We see interesting names used to refer to the devil in these passages. The serpent. Often in Hebrew, the devil is referred to as Hasatan, which we often translate into English as Satan. That's where we get that name. But it's not an actual proper name in the Hebrew, because in Hebrew, giving a proper name to someone or something gives it power. It literally means the adversary, the one who is against us, the tempter. In our passage from Genesis, we see that the adversary is simply called the serpent. And we see that same kind of language used regarding the tempter in Matthew's account of Jesus' temptation. The Greek also does not use a proper name so as not to give too much power to the adversary. And the adversary tried the same trick with Jesus in the wilderness as what Adam and Eve fell for in the garden. Yeah, but what about this? Is that really what God meant? But Jesus wasn't having it. Each time, Jesus responded with a rebuke from Scripture. The adversary played from the same playbook with Jesus as he played from with Adam and Eve, as he plays from when tempting us. He encouraged Jesus to reach for something outside of his purpose given to him by God. He tried to distract him with power, with control. First, he offered the temptation to attempt something miraculous for no reason other than because he had the power to do so. Then he tempted him to spectacle, just for the sake of spectacle. Then finally, he offered what is so often the hardest temptation of them all to resist, the temptation to political power. The adversary knows that the greatest weakness of humanity is our desire to gain power and control that is not ours to possess. Now we people don't generally take well to being told what we can and cannot do. We like to feel in control, control of our circumstances, control of ourselves, control of the people around us. And these are the same temptations, when you think about it, that were offered to Jesus in the wilderness, quite specifically. If you're hungry, forget the fast and feed yourself. Change the circumstance. If you're special, forget about your purpose and protect yourself. You can do anything. If you're important, forget about God's ways. Rule this land with the human power that people expected you to come with. Jesus, in that moment, knew that there was something so much greater to come than controlling those things right then and there, though. He knew that his mission was not about miracles, it was not about spectacle, it was not about human power. It was, and still is, 
about freeing humanity from the constraints of sin. And yet, when we are offered unspeakable freedom in Jesus Christ, we still find ways to make that freedom about ourselves and putting ourselves first. We circle right back around to putting ourselves in control. We believe that by putting ourselves in control, by having more willpower, by doing things our way, we will have more freedom, that we will really start living. How many self-help books are all about putting yourself in control? How many self-help books say things like, if you're hungry, forget the fast and feed yourself. If you're special, forget about your purpose and protect yourself. If you're important, forget about God's ways and rule this land with human power. In a way, we are constantly seeking ways to be our own God, to not need God in our lives because we have got it all under control. But instead of flourishing and finding more freedom, when we try to seize power that is not ours, when we fall to the ways of sin and destruction in the world, we find ourselves more captive than ever. We are slaves to maintaining control, or at least the appearance of control. Temptation erodes our trust in God. We fall to the distractions of the world, and we find ourselves estranged from God, from one another, and from our true selves. We have one job, seek God with our whole heart. But like the worker who painted S-H-C-O-O-L on the street in front of a school crossing, we get distracted. Unlike Jesus, who is ready to fire back scripture at the adversary who tries to distract him with power and glory and fame, we grab a hold of the shiny objects dangled in front of us money, prestige, reputation, being in charge. When we realize how truly bad we are at resisting the flashy temptations of the world, it can be pretty disheartening. It feels a bit like failing some sort of test. But temptation is not a test from God. Temptation comes from the adversary, from the sin that has been let loose in the world not from God. The Holy Spirit led Jesus up the mountain for 40 days of fasting because fasting is important. Time with God is important. The Holy Spirit did not lead Jesus up that mountain as some sort of test just to make sure. God does not test us with temptation, nor did God test Jesus in such a way. But Jesus, just like we are, was pretty vulnerable at this time of seeking God. The adversary knows this and uses that to his advantage, trying to distract us, test us, pull us away from that powerful intimacy with God that we read about just last week on Transfiguration Sunday. On this mountain, this mountain where the adversary tempts Jesus, Jesus is tempted to reveal his glory too soon. But he trusts God. He waits for the right mountain, the mountain on which his glory is meant to be revealed. 
Our passage today from Romans pulls the passages from Genesis and Matthew together. It snaps them into perspective for us. And in my reading this week, I came across a very powerful statement about it. In Romans 5, 12 through 19, Paul is trying to impress on us that Christ did not die and rise again merely to provide a bit of needed improvement or to fill some gaps in our life. He died to save us from a mortal disease that lies at the core of our being, affecting all of our thoughts, words, and deeds, and corrupting human society as a whole. The truth about sin is a central part of the gospel because it illuminates our real condition before God and consequently the depth of mercy, love, and forgiveness that God offers us in Christ. Paul's message here resembles Jesus telling the Pharisees that he did not come to save the righteous, but those who realize that they are sinners in need of God's mercy. Let that really sink in this morning, my friends, before we sing Amazing Grace. Let that be on your heart and your mind when we celebrate communion together here this morning. As we enter into the journey of Lent, we remember the 40 days in the wilderness that Jesus spent fasting and fighting temptation And we mirror that. We mirror that remembering our complete inability to resist as Christ did and our total dependence on the fact that Jesus was able to come out victor over the adversary. We begin Lent with this story of purpose and of being distracted from our purpose as a reminder of why we celebrate this season and why it holds a place of such importance in our church year. This is a time in which we repent from the ways we have missed our true purpose because we have been distracted by power and control, by sin. With that repentance, we celebrate that grace that affords us the ability to come back to God who continues to call our names We celebrate the grace that affords us the opportunity, in spite of all we have done and all we have left undone, to still come to this table, to be lifted up in communion with God, our Heavenly Father, and with one another through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We enter into this 40 days offering up a distraction to God. For some, it's some sort of food. For others, perhaps an activity. Some offer up an extra block of time each day to set aside everything but prayer. Whatever it is that you choose as a way of putting aside distraction during Lent, it is important to remember why we do this. Observance of Lent is not just a Roman Catholic thing. And it's not just some ancient superstitious method of scoring points with God. It is a purposeful time of reflection and drawing nearer to God who offers us such incredible grace and unconditional love in the midst of our sin. We enter into this time of Lent together because there is such power in community and holding 
one another up. Even though we aren't all fasting or praying in the same way, we are still all doing that together. We don't have to tell everyone around us what it is we are doing to observe Lent in order to have support in it. Although I do recommend having at least one person who can help to hold you accountable in this time. Your spouse, a good friend, someone you can trust to keep you honest when temptation strikes. I was reminded this morning of something that a pastor friend once said to me that stood out in regards to community and why she loves doing things in community at church and the sort of support that we offer one another. The example she uses to explain this is the recitation of the creeds, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, whichever is being used that morning. She says that on any given Sunday when reciting the creed, there is usually at least one part of it that she personally is struggling with. She's having trouble believing it or accepting it in her own life. But she finds comfort in knowing that as she struggles to say that one part and believe it, even without telling anyone her particular struggle that morning, in reciting it together, there is someone else out there in the community, in the congregation, who isn't struggling with that particular line or concept. And in reciting it together, that other person is holding her up in her weak moment. At the same time, when she is saying the parts that she is not struggling with right then, that she is truly confident about, she is holding up others in their moments of struggle with that particular part of the creed. We need one another to hold each other up where we struggle. We cannot be Christians alone. There may be a day when you are completely failing at your Lenten fast and discipline, dear friends. In fact, there will probably be at least a few of those. But you can get through those days with the knowledge that you are not alone and that we are holding one another up in community at that time. As a community centered in the grace of Jesus Christ, we reflect the way in which Jesus Christ holds us all up as righteous in spite of our complete inability to hold ourselves up. So let that be a reminder. Let us remember that as we sing together of that amazing grace which we are offered. May the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.